Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. It was, uh, it's been a couple of weeks ago now. Uh, I think it was probably a Saturday night uh, and Sunday morning, and I had woken up before, uh, I had woken up before uh, my alarm went off. And uh, it was really early. And so I was kind of it's like my mind was awake. And so I was like, I'm just going to get out of bed and uh, tried to quietly navigate the squeaky floors of my hallway so as not to wake my children who were just across the hall, twin daughters who were eight. And I step kind of quietly into the hallway and I hear, I think I hear, I hear, daddy. And uh, like that thing, like it kind of gave me chills, right? It was the creepy kind of like, did someone just, just call me? I'm like, yes, yes, right? Like uh, it was a really awkward moment. So I just froze. I stopped and then I heard it again, daddy. And uh, my kid was clearly calling me, again, really early dark. So I stepped into the room, and she's sitting up in bed, uh, trying to navigate a nosebleed in the middle you know, of the night, wee hours of the morning, by herself, just trying to keep everything kind of under control without waking her sister. She told me later, I just didn't want to wake up my sister. And, you know, but just sort of like in, in the midst of this sort of dark mess, trying to like, trying to keep things under control. I had, I had a couple of reactions to that. One was like, oh, I kind of broke my heart as her dad. I'm like, oh, just... I don't care who you wake up. If you need my help, yell, right? Like, uh, in the sense of like watching her try to like control it, uh, but wanting her to know that like that, that's unnecessary, that, that I am here precisely for that space. But then too, just, it struck me sitting with our passage this morning that it's a, just seems like a, a, a vivid image to me of what, of the picture uh, that Paul is painting here, that we are, we are alone in the dark, trying our best to control the mess of our own lives and the mess around us, and, and trying as best as we can just to kind of control everything, uh, and maybe if, if we're trying at all feebly, perhaps calling out for help. I, I just, I found in, in that moment a resonance with the uh, image of scripture that we're given here. That our morning, uh, our reading this morning speaks to that kind of experience. The darkness of our own predicament and our misguided attempts to just, just keep it under control. Right into the, that tension, we read uh, this beautiful passage of Scripture. And I want to call your attention to a couple of things in, in the passage. It's on the screen here. But first, I just want you to consider how it's framed. Uh, that This famous passage of Scripture is framed with two images that I think are helpful. The first one is in verse 2. So we start in the beginning, you were dead in trespasses and sins. And then verse 2, in which you, in which you once walked. And then he goes on to describe what that walk was like. But then, uh, so we have that image at the start. But then if you'll jump all the way to the end, verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk, that we should walk in them. So, so you have this imagery at the, at the uh, kind of framing the passage uh, of walking that, that we sort of, we, we live walking here and in this way, but there's a picture, a promise of hope that, that we can walk uh, in a different way or space. And so kind of framing, I think as we step into the passage, I just want to ask you to consider maybe we're going to take each of these spaces, these walks, if you will, in turn, and then maybe look at, at uh, what the journey is like from, from one to the next. And I think, uh, I think right off the bat, uh, right off the bat, we're struck with the truth that, that on our own, Right, that on our own, by nature, on our own, we are dead. We are, 
we are dead. We read it first, uh, verse one and two. And you were dead in the tres- in trespasses and sins in which you once, uh, walked. And right, right from the get go, I just, I, I want to, I think, point up the fact that before we ever get to life together, uh, Paul is giving us a truth here that we are dead together, that, that, that we are, we are, we are dead. Uh, it's a stark, actually, a stark contrast with the verses that come before. The verses before us were our benediction last week, a prayer that Paul has prayed that we would understand sort of all the goodness that God has given us. And in praying that prayer, he talks about Jesus being raised to life and raised up and seated above and all things placed under his authority, that he is alive. And then he just abruptly moves, and you were dead. That 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 the the uh, uncomfortable truth of this passage, right from the start, uh, is the truth that left to our own devices by our own nature, we are we are dead. And here's what I think this uh, simple, uh, the maybe uncomfortable truth does for us. I think it I think it pulls the rug out from under sort of two tendencies in, in your heart and and in, and in mine. And the first tendency I think is the tendency to locate the problem with all of the mess, the predicament in the world, to locate it out there in someone else, maybe outside these walls, to kind of locate the problem uh, somewhere else. But Paul says here, right, we want to say the problem is they, them, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Paul says, no, you, you were dead. And then goes on to say, uh, us all, right, in his description, not the people he's talking to, but then like uh, representing sort of his sort of voice in that conversation in which uh, we once all were, that that right from the get-go, he just pulls the rug out from under any sort of self-righteous tendency in our hearts to, to kind of consider that the problem is out there. I, I do think, we've mentioned this before, but it's worth noting that John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that that verse was given to a leader of the Pharisees, right? To, to someone who perhaps would have been prone to locate the problem sort of out there uh, some, somewhere. I heard someone put it this way. And again, I don't, I'll just, I thought it was helpful. Uh, this sort of uh, logic here that people are bad, right? People are bad. Christians are people. So Christians are bad, right? In the sense that we all need grace, that we all need grace. That, that Paul says to them here, right? He just pulls the rug out from under our tendency to want to just sort of locate the problem out there. Paul says, no, you were dead. But I think it, it, it confronts another sort of tendency in our hearts, not just locating the problem out there, but I, I also think it sort of uncomfortably challenges a really common thought in probably our own lives and our culture that, uh, well, I get it, that's fine, but maybe the problem isn't as bad as all that. Right, that, that, that people are generally good, you know, maybe I make some mistakes or I kind of miss the boat occasionally, but generally I'm good, we're all right, people are all right. Uh, maybe the problem is not as bad as all that. But Paul doesn't just say you were dead, Paul says you were dead. There was no life here. And he's comprehensive in his description. He uses the phrase right in the beginning, trespasses and sins. This, this image uh, calls to mind uh, rebellious, sort of willful, rebellious wandering, but also just mistakes that you kind of miss the mark that it just, it's comprehensive in its scope that, that this brokenness, uh, that we, you know, like my daughter tries so hard to control is comprehensive. 
And uh, Paul says, you were dead. I know you feel like it's maybe not as bad as all that, but Paul's like, look, I'm, I'm telling you, this is, this is where you live and walk. And, and the heart at its core is, because of sin, uh, broken. He goes on to describe kind of the context of that truth, that you see it in the kind of the next few verses. He kind of lists it out. Uh, a, a series of three that shows up elsewhere in Scripture uh, throughout the New Testament, that, that, that there is sort of the course of the world, kind of the world around us contributing to this move, the prince of the power of the air, the evil one at work, but then also kind of the lust of the, the passions of the flesh. He's, again, just comprehensive in the way in which he talks about our present predicament, that we, we are dead on our own, left to our own devices, we are dead. And here's what I think that does for us. It does a couple of things, uh, but one thing I, I know for sure that it does is it just, it just pulls the rug out from under any sort of like belief in the fact that we maybe can just pull ourselves up out of this. That, uh, right, that, that, that there is in us a tendency to think, right, like maybe we're not as bad as all that. We, we can kind of fix this. We have this manageably under control. And Paul says here, no, the truth of the fact, uh, the fact of the matter is that you, all of us, we are, are dead. And, and the, the problem is that if we, if we don't start there, we, we're left with kind of constantly depending on ourselves for good outcomes and then constantly being disappointed because inevitably, inevitably, we will disappoint. We will fall short. And again, this isn't a truth we want to hear. It's not a space maybe we like to talk about often. There is hope and life in our passage here this morning, but I think before we get there, we have to, we have to start here. We have to start here. And, and maybe, maybe you're like, I, I can accept this. Just a cursory reading of the headlines. You're like, of course, humanity seems deeply flawed and broken. And you're like, that's okay. But when, but when we try to think about what that looks like in our lives, oftentimes we kind of come right back to like, well, you know, I, I think, I'm, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not all that bad. But let me give you maybe just a uh, simple, if somewhat... Uh, innocuous example of, of how I, I think this has found expression in my life. It occurs to me uh, that the truth of what Paul says pops up in my life. Uh, one way I've seen it recently is in my, uh, it surprised me how quickly I am able and willing to hold a grudge against an eight-year-old, right? So when my kids who are eight, right, eight, they are children who know nothing of the world, right? That uh, when, they, when, they, when they press my button in just the right way, my ability to take it personally and defensively and want to just kind of hang on. I'm like, no, like they, like they forget it. They move right on and they're all smiles and playing. I'm like, no, you made me mad, right? Remember this, uh, my ability to hold a grudge, a genuine grudge against an eight-year-old reminds me not only of my insecurity, but also of my bent towards brokenness, that the fissure of sin runs really deep in my own heart. And like that ours, as we've said before, uh, our hearts are, are, are curved sharply inward. And the result of all that, Paul says, is the, the truth that left to ourselves, we are dead. So I think I have sufficiently gloomed everyone in the room, right? Are we okay? Please make a turn. All right, here we go. The good news is, is, is this is one uh, way in which we can walk in the world. But the conclusion of our passage paints a different picture, right? That we would walk into good works purposed beforehand. Because yes, by nature we are dead, but, uh, but by God's grace, 
we are made alive. And again, we see it maybe from verse 5 onwards. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive. Together with Christ, by grace, you have been saved. And goes on to, to unpack or describe what that moment, uh, that kind of walking looks like. And I think we're right back to where we started last week. Uh, and when we started Ephesians, he's making the same point again, that life is from God. It is his work, not ours. That, that uh, he uses words like grace and gift, all of that here reminds us that, that God is the one who makes alive. We, we, <laughs> we are dead. We, do, we bring nothing to uh, that experience or that conversation or that moment, that this is a gift. It is a gift. It is a gift, a free and generous gift. I, uh, I came across a description of, of that gift. Uh, a Nigerian theologian, who he's an instructor, I think, at, at Boston University. His name is Nimi uh, Wariboko. And he used an image that has stuck with me to describe kind of our, the way we tend to approach this gracious gift from God. That we kind of think of it as like, you know, when you get a gift in the mail that comes with a self-addressed, like, stamped envelope for you to send something back in return. And then often that's how we think of God's sort of gracious intervention in our lives, that he gives us this and then, but it kind of comes with some strings attached and we then in turn kind of have to send, you know, send some stuff back. But Paul is telling us here that no, that, that it is a gift. It, God is the one who does all of the work. He is the one who has raised Christ. He is the one who, who works life where all there is is brokenness and, and death, that this is a gift. And that I think is hard for us to process. As much as we like to talk about it, we are much more comfortable with like reciprocity. We want things to be fair. Even when we receive a gift, how many have been like, oh yeah, they had us round for tea. We got to return the favor, right? Like they express some kindness to us. Oh, it's, we, you know, we, we kind of reciprocate, right? Because we're wired to kind of, which is a good, that, that, that justice and fairness. But God disrupts that by his grace and just freely gives a gift. The work is his. Maybe to help us. Uh, to help us see that, maybe the scandalousness of that gift. Listen to this description of grace in, in the work of Jesus. Grace, it turns out, is fundamentally unfair and therefore offensive. Right? It, it makes no allowance for what we feel uh, we or anyone else deserves, right? Tapping into that feeling like what's well, kind of, it needs to be a back and forth, a kind of fairness of play here. Grace upends all of that, which hints at why Jesus Christ encountered such profound opposition to his ministry that ultimately ended in his execution. Human nature is such that, that we might appreciate a gift in theory, but not so much in practice because a pure gift just a pure gift, no strings attached. It upsets the balance, the balance of power, sometimes even in inverts them. And then this conclusion that unconditional love is so threatening to our sinful hearts, to the precious kind of hierarchies that we create, the systems that we create. Unconditional love is so threatening to our sinful hearts that the one time, the one time it was made fully manifest in human history, we killed it. Right? That in the person of Jesus, we find this clearest expression of, of merciful gift, right? N no action of our own in terms of the merit that it would achieve, the, the gift of life that it would give, all God's work in Christ. It's all his work. We are dead. The gift of life is a grace, gracious gift from God that by his grace, he's opened up another way to walk 
to walk around in the world, to walk around alive, full of, of life, not just made alive, but, but, but made alive uh, so that you can step into good works that he has designed, expressions of his good character to be given uh, in, in his world. He's made us alive to walk into works that he has prepared ahead of time. It's really a, a beautiful image. Uh, in verses 5 and following, he steps into this imagery. We've been made alive with Christ. We've been, more than imagery, a statement of a new reality. We've been made alive with Christ, raised up and seated us with him. These are all images that, again, just before our passage, he has used to describe what God has done in Jesus. Telling us here that what he has done in Jesus, making him alive, he is doing in us as well. And that, that is a, a gracious gift. One of the uh, prayers of the church, um, actually in the, in the Book of Common Prayer, a prayer that is prayed somewhat frequently, I think gives, helps us give words to, to what we're saying here, that even when it comes to our expression of goodness in the world, it is a gift from God that he has worked and prepared the prayer that all of our work is begun and continued and ended in him, in him, that it is a gracious gift of God, not only that we are made alive, but that we are helped into good works, not something we sort of bootstrap ourselves into, we kind of muscle our way in because of the resilience of the human spirit, not something we, uh, you know, just kind of work up, but this is a gift from God. So these are the two sort of spheres he creates here, right? We can walk around dead in the world, sort of our hearts trapped by all of the brokenness that sin has wrought, or we're invited to walk around alive for the purpose of good works. My question to you is what happens between these two lived experiences? Right? What, 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 what helps us walk? What, what opens the way for uh, walking uh, in this way, from this way into life? And I would submit to you that it's this nugget, this beautiful passage of scripture that we've tried to uh, call to mind, even in the songs that we've sung here in verse four. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, that, that, that what, what brings his grace to bear in our lives, what moves us from walking in death to life, <laughs> is the mercy of God. That we move from death into life and good works only because of God's rich mercy. I, I, uh, you know, it's the, only, it's the only time in scripture that, that uh, God is described as being rich. In, in anything in this way uh, of all the of all the things I think maybe us or the culture of the world would have completed God is rich in blank all the sort of words even in our brokenness we would want to put there Paul says mercy Paul says the attribute of his character that moves towards your brokenness and sh shame filled spaces in your heart that attribute that draws him towards those things rather than repelling him away that is the thing that he is rich that he is rich in what what does this look like what 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 does this mean i've looked for help in trying to like give language right because i think we just can read right over that but god rich in mercy this this is what one writer said it means that the things that make you cringe the most that you're the most ashamed of make him hug the hardest 
the spaces in your life that you share with no one that, that bring the most shame or struggle or brokenness sort of to the surface in your life, that, that God moves towards those spaces. Even when they're mistakes or rebellions that you have wrought with intention and purpose, he moves in his mercy towards them. And what he expresses there, Paul tells us, is love. Love. I, I think, right, what, what this means again is that when we think about mercy in our own lives and the way we give it and express it, grace to others, man, we're, let's be honest, we're calculating, we're cautious because we're vulnerable to hurt, right? When we have to extend it to someone else, we, 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 we got to kind of hold those cards closed and be careful with how we give it out because we, we're, we're vulnerable and, and at risk. Paul tells us that might be true of us. That is not true of God. He is rich in mercy. Not, not in the sense, not something he has that he can kind of deplete and run low. It's an aspect of his character. It is, it is, it is who he is, something he is. Paul, I think, knew. He knew that we would need help. We would need help understanding God as merciful. That we would want to put all sorts of things, some of them right, some of them wrong. But he knew that we would need help understanding that God is merciful. He knew that our vision would be clouded and broken and limited, our perspective narrow, too small and broken. We are, after all, dead. So he says, God being rich and mercy. God knew we would need help. And so he sent Jesus, right? He doesn't just show us mercy on the cross where he, where he lays his life down, no strings attached, but, but also shows us what mercy looks like and, and the people with whom he chose to keep company and what he chose to say and how he chose to speak shows us this is what mercy looks like. We were, uh, <laughs> we were sitting in our living room this week uh, having ice cream. It was really cold outside. One of my daughters was in her parka, fur hood over her head, uh, eating ice cream. You know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do to get ice cream, right? There's never a wrong time for cookie dough, uh, in her case. Uh, but we were sitting around in the living room and, and Jess and I, I think we were talking, my wife, Jess, we were talking about home prices, I think. And sometimes I forget my kids are eight and now they understand what we say. <laughs> Right, so look out. But uh, we were we were just chatting about about home prices, and uh, you know, my, one of my daughters was sitting in the chair, kind of across, looking at us again, hood up, fur, just kind of in her happy place, eating ice cream. And in the middle of that conversation, she says, uh, "The most, the most, uh, the, I forget the phrase she used, but the highest price I know is nine ninety nine, <laughs> right?" I thought, oh, you sweet, sweet, innocent girl. <laughs> you have no idea, right? $9.99. We, we had a good laugh. And, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a funny moment. But here's, here's what I think is the truth that Paul knew. That we have a $9.99 view of God's mercy. Some of us have a $9.99 view of our own brokenness. We're like, we're not all that bad. Paul yanks the rub out. You know, he yanks the rug out from under that. But, but most of us, I, I bet all of us, we come into whatever we might think God to be with a $9.99 view, $9.99 review of how merciful he is. That he moves, that he moves towards the things that repel us. In my life, when I look in the mirror, the things in my life that repel me, God doesn't just like, I'll make that better. He moves towards it. 
Right? He is, he, he is drawn, his mercy tells me that he is drawn precisely to that space. And my hunch is that we could spend a lifetime, whether we have walked in the church for a while in the community of faith in this life that Paul has described, whether we have walked here for ages, whether we're new, whether we're just kind of curiously finding our way, my hunch is we could spend a lifetime shedding our small-minded understandings of God's mercy and still never, never plumb the depths of what it means to know that God in his mercy moves towards your brokenness and not away from it. Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at Park City KC.